So Isaiah 45, starting at verse 20 on page 606. Assemble yourselves and come, draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and the Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, for my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed, all who are incensed against him. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. Bell bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are borne as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made, and I will bear, I will carry, and will save. To whom will you liken me and make me equal, and compare me that we may be all alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales, hire a goldsmith, and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders, they carry it, they set it in its place, and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed it and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off and my salvation will not delay. I will put my salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. Ryan, thanks very much for, for reading for us. I want to say occasionally it's, it's good to be really explicit uh, with our hopes and aspirations for each and every one of you uh, who comes here, and especially if you call yourself a Christian. But we really have two aims for each and every one of you here. Uh, the first aim is, is this, that you persevere as a Christian, you keep going. Often it can be hard, uh, challenging to be Christians. Uh, you have doubts and the office can be a difficult place. 
And so part of our aim is to encourage you to keep persevering. But here's our second aim, if you like, our ultimate aim for each and every one of you, that you change your perspective of why, of why you go to work. See, ultimately, our goal is to encourage you to see that you are there as a witness for Jesus in your workplace. Yes, you might go to work to feed your face, to pay the bills, to pay for your holidays, um, to progress your career. And those are all good things. I don't hear me wrongly. But what we are here to do is to persuade you to shift, to change your mind that the ultimate reason is you're there as a witness. So your job is not primarily uh, someone who does tax advisory or financial advisor, uh, you know, an architect primarily or a consultant or someone who works in administration, though all th those things are important. Your primary job is to be a witness for Jesus. And if you pause to think about that, that's a very big aim. I think if you really get a mindset, it changes everything. It changes how you think about your time, your money, whether you should accept the promotion, what roles should you apply for. If your primary role is a witness, it shapes everything. I'll give you a couple of examples. It will look like uh, Thursday lunchtime, uh, making it a really regular thing in your diary, uh, putting it as a priority and inviting people to come along. Uh, Tuesday mornings, we meet to pray uh, for each other and also our colleagues. Uh, we pray for our colleagues, uh, making that a priority, uh, really important. But not just here at Covent Garden Talks, more so in your offices. You take every opportunity to speak about him. Uh, you could organize an event or do various things. But also the bigger things, um, how you think about your money, how you think about your time. If your ultimate goal is to be a witness for Jesus, it shapes all that you do. And so that's our explicit prayer name. And this is why we want you here. We want you to change your minds about why you go to work. It's basically the opposite from whatever anyone tells you in the office. But here's the thing, it's a really lofty aim. And why should you subscribe to it? And it can't just be because I, I tell you to do so. Uh, there's nothing inherently authoritative about me. Uh, but the conviction of this, well, it must come from listening to God's word. But then here is the problem. Because the word that we've been looking into is the word of Isaiah. And you just come from the office, you've been looking at spreadsheets, you've been meetings, you've been talking about various trends and forecasts and things like that. And then you come into a world about ancient history, about Israel, about Cyrus and wooden idols. And you might think, what has this got to say to me? And how is this going to persuade me to change my view about work? Again, the conviction that we have here is that as we open uh, the Bible, as we read, God, he speaks loud and clear. And so if we pay attention today, if we lean in to listen, we will see that today's word is a word of tremendous, uh, tremendous significance. It is what that seems to be a distant word becomes a present, a present word. And so the word that we will hear today uh, is God declaring his verdict, his verdict on history, uh, where this world is going. He will declare the end from the beginning. So this is where we're going. Our aim at Common Garden Talks is to persuade each and every one of you that your primary role 
is there as a witness to Jesus to your workplace. But why? Well, because the verdict of the end of the world has been declared. Well, we intentionally used the language of verdict and witness because in our passage, we are in a courtroom. And you notice the legal language um, as Ryan was reading out the passage. I put some of those on your handout. Uh, verse 1, they're called to approach, to draw near for judgment. Uh, verse, sorry, verse 20, they're called to assemble, to draw near. Verse 21, they're called to declare or to present your case, to take counsel. Uh, do you notice those are all legal terms? We are in the courtroom. But we've already, already been in the courtroom since chapter 41. Again, I put some quotes in your handout. In chapter 41, you have a call for the nations to approach, to draw near for judgment. as a call for them to set forth your case, bring your proofs. It's a call for them to declare their case. And in between chapters 41 to uh, 44, 45 that we're in today, 42 to 44, God, he presents his evidence for his case. Last week, we saw the details of how his rescue plan will work out. Cyrus, a pagan king, will save Israel. The next two weeks, we will see the sentence being passed down to the nations and then to Israel. But this week is the week of verdict. Uh, we will see his verdict being declared. I look at how the scene starts in chapter 20. Maybe chapter, sorry, verse 20. Assemble yourself and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. So picture the scene. The nations, they are trudging into the courtroom and their backs are bent and they are sweating profusely. Why? Because on their backs are huge wooden blocks, huge idols on their back. And you see them, they come into the courtroom and with a great effort, they heave the idols off the backs and they place it down with a great thud. And so on one end, you have the nations and the idols who are standing tall. And on the other hand, you have Israel looking a little, a little bit uncomfortable in the dock. And the judgment seat, you have God who stands in the middle. And he raises his hammer and he slams it down and he declares his verdict. Verse 11, I have spoken. I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. In our passage today, God, he declares the verdict on history. That brings us to our first point, his verdict on the world, that every knee will bow. Look again to verse 20. Assemble yourselves and come draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols, who keep praying to a God that cannot save, declare, and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there's no God besides me, a righteous God, a savior. There's none besides me. Again, imagine the scene. We're in the courtroom. You have the nations and the idols. And God, he stands there. He calls to the idol. He says, hey, idol, declare your case. And then he says again, hey, idol, Present your case. What do you hear? Nothing. Of course you hear nothing. It's comedy. 
Blocks of wood cannot speak. Idols, they don't speak. Verse 20, they have no knowledge. They keep praying to a God that cannot save. See, a wooden idol, no matter how tall, cannot save. But the Lord, well, he can. He's the speaking God. Long ago, he declared, back in the Exodus and in Deuteronomy, that Israel will go to exile and that Cyrus will bring them back. How long ago, he declared that his people would be fruitful and multiply, numerous as the stars, as sand on the sea. And so his salvation, well, it was never in doubt. And so God, he declares his verdict on the world. Look at verse 22. Turn to me and be safe, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. By myself I have sworn. For my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return to me. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. You notice the, uh, the extent of the, the submission, both physical and verbal, knees bowed, tongues confessing. It is a complete acknowledgement of who God is. It's all those who, who hated him. Look at verse 24. All who were incensed against him, all those who hated him, his enemies, those who hate God, they will be ashamed of their rebellion. Every knee will bow. And so this is the verdict on the world. Are the nations who reject God? Think of the nations who worship idols of gold, a golden Buddha, or a golden elephant, or a golden Mary. Those who worship idols will bow. Those who reject the Lord, or those who worship Allah, every knee, their knees, will bow to the Lord. But it's not just those nations, it's also his enemies today. It is people like the Dawkins of this world, the Sam Harris's, the Stephen Fry's, the Ricky Gervais, or people in the office, your CEO, your line manager, the person who clears your desk, your teammate who sits next to you. Every knee, every knee will bow. And so the Lord, he pronounces his verdict. Verse 23, by myself, I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return to me. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. And it will happen because when the creator God speaks, things happen. Uh, when he speaks, when the creator God, he swears by himself, things happen. On Tuesday mornings, we meet here to pray at 8.15, just outside there. And occasionally we start the session by having a short Bible sharing. And this week, Karen was sharing something from Psalm 58. And Psalm 58 is an interesting Psalm. We've never read it before. It's about Israel who are being accused for judging poorly. And the promise is that God, he will come to judge. And then Karen said this, well, we don't need to fear persecution because God is the judge. See, Karen, she's right. God is the judge and he has declared his verdict on the world. Every knee will bow. But again, before the end comes, uh, there is a gap. 
there's a window of opportunity. I look at verse 22. Turn to me and be safe, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. See, for us, that is an urgent call to recognize that our colleagues, our people in our offices, they need to turn to him. There is an end point. Every knee will bow. And so we need to call them to turn. It is not easy, but this is the right side of history. This is where history is heading. The end is not in doubt. So that's the first verdict on the wall, that every knee will bow. But that brings us to the second verdict on his people. He will save his people. He will save his people because they need saving. Look at chapter 46, verse 1. So this describes Israel. Bel bows down, Nebo stoops. The idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are borne as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. It is an incredible scene, what's happening here. Uh, it's a picture of Israel trudging out of Jerusalem into exile. And their progress, well, it's painfully slow. Why? Because on the backs of their horses are idols, big wooden blocks of idols. And you think about the economy of idols, bigger, the better but also bigger, the bigger the burden. And it is comedy. You see these idols, they're in perpetual state of reverence. They are bowed down, face on the ground. You think about how you carry an idol on the back of the horse. You probably put it in a horizontal fashion. And so the idol is facing down to the ground. Uh, verse one, Bell bows down, Nebo stoops. And the horses, um, the poor horses, they got those heavy wooden blocks in their back. Uh, you can hear them snorting heavily, breathing really heavily and eventually their knees they give way and they come crashing down to the ground idol and horse on the ground and it's a satirical scene showing that israel they need saving they are going into exile with the idols as their burdens but not only do they need saving they don't deserve saving because the satirical scene is there to mock the nation of Israel, because they traded the creator God for blocks of wood, the speaking God for mute idols. They are, verse 8, transgressors. They are, verse 12, stubborn of heart. They need saving, but they don't deserve saving. And before we hold this description at arm's length, it's worth recognizing that we all bear the burden of the idols that we create. In one sense, it is a description of all of us. We are burdened by the idols of money, career, power and status. But perhaps more than that, we are burdened by an idealized, or might I say, idolized versions of ourselves. We say, I can achieve. I can do anything I set my mind to. I just have to believe in myself. I can decide things my own way. See, we project an idolized version of ourselves, autonomous, invincible, deserving of praise. And that burden is too heavy for us to carry. We are weighed down 
by our idols. And so we despair and we are depressed when we fail. And so we need saving from those burdens. And what is God's burden on us? It is not judgment. It is not abandonment. It is not, I told you so. But verse 3, look at verse 3. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, or the remnants of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from your womb. Even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. When we are weighed down by burdens that we carry, God himself will carry us. I will bear, I will save, I will carry you. See, despite sin, our shame and guilt, see Jesus, he takes on some of these words in the gospel. He comes to us and he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, it's a promise to all his people who are carrying heavy burdens, to come to him, and he will carry us. So that is the verdict on his people. He will save them. And that is the verdict on all of history. The world, every knee will bow, and his people, he will save them. And this verdict, well, it's not in doubt. Remember, when the creator God speaks, things happen. The hammer has fallen. The verdict has been declared. The judgment is secure. And you see, when Isaiah, he recorded these words of prophecy, uh, there were strong Old Testament expectations, if you like, pressure, a pressure squeezing out of the Old Testament, that the Lord, he will come near to save, where every knee will bow and every tongue confess his name. And again, the start I said at Common Garden Talks, we make a big deal about speaking about Jesus. And it's not because we've got a weird fascination with him, but because the name to which every tongue will confess is the name Jesus. Many of you know Paul in his letter to the Philippians, he writes, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality of God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has, has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, that is the verdict on history. Every knee bowed, every tongue confessing that Jesus is Lord. And so what about us here? Well, the verdict is declared, but in one sense, the trial, uh, this trial is not over. See, Isaiah develops uh, this picture of a redeemed people becoming servants and witnesses to the world. And even today, there is an ongoing testimony against a rebellious world that we are all part of today. At the start, I use the language of witnesses 
uh, to describe people who are followers of Jesus. You might think that witness is a, is a Christian jargon. You know, we kind of witness, we kind of throw that word around. But if you think about the term witness, it's primarily a legal term. That is a witness in this cosmic trial. It is to witness to the truth about Jesus against a rebellious world. And so each and every one of us here, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you are a witness in the legal sense to testify to truth about Jesus against the world. You stand on the willing side, witnessing against a fallen world, convicting the world. And so you are a witness in the ongoing conviction of the world. You know, there's a form of Christianity that says God helps me and he saves me, full stop. I mean, there's a sense of truth in that, no doubts. But it's only half the story. It's a half truth. At best, it's damaging. At worst, it's a lie. Because when he saves us, he saves us to be a witness for him. And so that is why our big aim here is to help you to see that you are primarily a witness for Jesus in the workplace, not as an idolatrous nation of Israel, but as a redeemed people. And so there's nothing more significant that you can do. I mean, you go back to your office and your colleague asks you, what do you, what do, you do over lunch? And you say, oh, I had some soup, some of you perhaps, and I learned something about, about Jesus. See, the moment you say that, there's nothing more significant that you can be doing. You are a witness in this ongoing trial to convict the world about truth. So have a mull on this. Lots of stuff have been said. Have a good think about this and chat around your tables. If this is true, what does it mean for you? And remember, the verdict has already been declared. Every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Why don't I pray? I have spoken and I'll bring it to past. I have purposed and I will do it. Our Father, we give you great thanks that in your kindness, you do not leave us in the dark, but you tell us the truth, the truth of where this world is going. So please, by your spirit, will you help us to believe and trust in what you are saying to us today? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.